Welcome to our message for Transfiguration Sunday. Today marks Jesus' trip up to the mountain where he met with Moses and Elijah and the beginning of his trip toward Jerusalem and ultimately the cross. It's a pivotal moment in his ministry, and we'll look at that today. Also, I want to share with you that next week we'll begin a series for Lent for the 40 days leading up to Easter. The title of the series is Wandering Heart, Finding Faith with Peter. We'll look at all the ways Peter got it right and all the ways that he got it wrong as he journeyed towards faith, and we'll take that journey with him. So I hope you'll join us for those messages as well. But today our text comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Let us pray. Almighty God, uh, during this time, we look at the transition that Jesus had to make, the change from the comfort of Galilee to the risk of Jerusalem. And we're reminded that you call us to take risk to change lives. Lord, give us the courage to follow you no matter where you lead. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Transitions are tough. It's hard to face change, hard to walk into the unknown. I remember my first days as a college student at the University of Alabama. I'd lived my whole life on the other side of the state in Alexander City, and I knew I had it good. My parents were paying all the bills. They were buying all the food. My mom was cooking all the food. School was easy. High school just wasn't really a problem for me. And a few close friends and I did life together. We enjoyed being together. All that had come to an end, and here I was in Tuscaloosa. I remember going to bed that first night in Abercrombie Hall, alone, no roommate, no close friends, just me in a strange place. I remember having to buy my own food with my own money. Now, that was a shock. I remember going grocery shopping at Albertsons. I was shocked at what it cost to actually feed myself. I took my groceries and supplies back to my dorm room and began putting them up. I took my Tide laundry detergent back when it was in powder form, put it up on the shelf in my closet, and right next to it, I put the cereal that I had just bought, uh, Frosted Flakes. The next morning when I fixed my breakfast, I poured a big bowl of Frosted Flakes and poured milk over it, and I was shocked to find out that the taste of the Tide had worked its way through two boxes and into my cereal. My cereal tasted like laundry detergent. I discovered that even in my closet, the Tide and the Tigers do not get along well. Life was exciting, but it was also hard and it was lonely. 
But it was the way to get here, to the life that I now have. I had to go through that transition. You just can't live at home forever. Moving to my first church was just as scary. All alone in my parsonage in Winfield, up in the very northern part of Fayette County, all alone, it was a long-distance call to the only people in this world that I knew. And who did I think I was? A 22-year-old preaching to people who were my grandparents' age? What was I thinking? I was so scared that I preached my first sermon to an empty sanctuary on Saturday. The Saturday before my first Sunday, I went down and, and I went through the entire service just to an empty sanctuary because I had this fear that on Sunday morning, no one was going to show up to hear this guy say a word. But that was the path to where I am now. I had to go through that transition if I was ever going to move on in ministry. I think more and more these days about retirement in a few years. Now, I'm still a ways away, but I'm close enough to where I think about it from time to time. Who will I be when no one is introducing me as their preacher? What will life be like when the career I've given myself to is over? That's a little unnerving even now for me. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know the emotions that go with transitions, with crossing over from one stage of life to the next. For instance, when the last child leaves home and you discover that empty nest syndrome, that's a challenging transition. Much more challenging is when you face life after the death of a spouse. Transitions are hard. That's where we find Jesus and the disciples in today's text. The transfiguration marks the end of one phase of their life together and the beginning of a much more dangerous one. Up until now, they've been spending their ministry time in the region around the Sea of Galilee, and it's been amazing. The crowds love Jesus. The miracles are amazing to everyone. He's, he's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. He's walked on water. He's fed the 5,000. What's not to love? He's the most popular guy in the entire region, and the disciples are getting to hang out with him. In our time, it would be something like being best friends with Taylor Swift. Life was good and safe. The ministry was going great. Why mess with it? The transfiguration marks the beginning of Jesus' final journey to Jerusalem. He's going to leave the safety of the Galilee and travel south to Jerusalem. He's been talking a lot lately about death. His enemies are in Jerusalem. It's a dangerous place for him. The disciples don't have to be geniuses to recognize that Jesus is proposing a risky mission. Not surprisingly, Peter is the one that opens his mouth and tells us exactly how the disciples feel about the transition. It's good to be here. Let's camp out. The Greek actually says Jesus, that Peter wants to set up three tents. Let's camp out here where it's safe, where it's friendly, where everybody likes us, where nobody's trying to nail us to a tree. Let's stay put, Jesus. Stop with the foolishness about Jerusalem. There's no good to come of that. Peter thinks. But Jesus leads them off the mountain anyway. He leads them south towards Jerusalem, towards their enemies, towards arrest, towards the cross, because the mission demands it. 
The only way to accomplish Jesus' purpose is to travel south to Jerusalem and face the dangers that lie there. Jesus intentionally chooses priority over preference. You see, it's not that he wanted to go to Jerusalem. It's not that he wanted to suffer on the cross. In fact, he would pray asking his father if he could avoid that. It was not about his preference or the disciples' preference. It was about priority. We must choose priorities over preference. Well, the church in our time has found itself right back on that mountain. The Christian world is in a time of transition unlike anything that anyone alive remembers. A worldwide pandemic has cut worship numbers in half across the country. None of us have experienced that. We don't know what to do with it. What we thought worked three years ago now only works for about half as many people. And we're all wrestling. There are no experts anymore. We're all wrestling with how to handle the effects of worldwide pandemic. Add to that that as United Methodists, we've suffered our first major schism since 1844. Of course, none of us remember that. Two monumental cataclysmic events in the life of the church have occurred over the last few years. No one alive has ever gone through that. And now we're left to try to figure it out. We are we are no longer in the church that we grew up in. And while we're slow to recognize it, we are living in a post-Christian America. If our country was ever a Christian nation, it no longer is. Less than half of Americans are actively involved in any organized religion. That's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hindu. Less than half of our fellow citizens are actively involved in any organized religion at all. And most of us grew up in a culture that expected church participation. Everything about our culture drove us towards church on Sunday morning. There was the only game in town for a long time. For the longest, uh, even sports programs did not do anything on Wednesday evenings to protect that time for the church. And now sports will practice on Sunday morning. Culture no longer is pushing people towards the church. In fact, more and more, our culture suspects church participation. It used to expect it, now it suspects it. What are we doing here? Why would we want to gather? The culture is more confused about who we are than ever. And to be honest, it would be much easier to just pitch a tent and camp out in the 1940s, wouldn't it? It would be so easy to just stake out our ground and be the church we were in the 40s when everybody loved us, when everything was safe. Let's just camp out there and stay put. Quite frankly, that's the kind of church that we know how to do. In fact, that's the kind of church for which seminary trained people like me. It would be easy. But Jesus is leading us off the mountain and into a very uncertain world. He's leading us into new communities to embrace new people, just like he did when he was on earth among us. He's leading us into those communities that have been left out and looked over by the church. He's leading us to people who have been hurt by church, people who have given up on God. In the church that's coming, we'll have to try new things, things that we haven't thought of before. In fact, we're working on that right now. We're experimenting with Maundy Thursday this year. I'll be honest with you. I, 
as a younger preacher, I never would have ever considered tinkering with Maundy Thursday. It's a holy night. It's the holiest of times. I wouldn't have, I would have never thought about messing with that time. And yet we're going to experiment this year. We're going to invite our people in our church to invite their friends, their relatives, their neighbors, not necessarily their church members, but their friends and their neighbors to come to their homes for a dinner in their dining room or maybe a, a cookout on their decks to share a meal among friends in their homes. We'll arrange for a video message from one of our pastors. We'll make arrangements for Holy Communion to be served. But this year, while we still have our traditional Maundy Thursday service in the sanctuary, we'll invite people to host Maundy Thursday in living rooms and dining rooms and decks around our community. In reality, that looks more like the original anyway. I don't know if it'll work. It may fall completely flat. But we're in a, we're in a day and age when we have to get off the mountain and try something new to reach new people. Ultimately, the disciples had to choose. They could go back to fishing, or they could go on to Jerusalem. They chose Jerusalem and all the risk that came with it. We have the same choice. We can cling to the church of the 40s, or we can get off the mountain, off our property, and share the good news with the people that Jesus came to serve, no matter what the cost. It's risky business but I choose to follow Jesus.